is there anything else that I want to say? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just hyped right now. You guys, like, this is awesome. You guys are all here. This is awesome. Man. You know what? I, I, you know, it's been a while. It's been a while since I've been vulnerable with y'all. I mean, I, so for those of you who've been here, I mean, you guys know. I don't, I don't mess around. I don't, I'm, I, I never, never portray myself as someone like, oh, yeah, he's got it all together. You know, uh-uh, no, please believe me. I do not have it all together. And so a bit of vulnerability time with y'all this week um, has been rough. It's been a rough week. Um, have you guys ever deal with, like, your thoughts condemning you? Like, it's not, even, it's not even that you did something. It's that you thought something. And look, and it's not even that you thought something that you wanted to do. You thought something that you don't even want to think. And because the thought crosses your mind, because you tell yourself, hey, you don't want to think that thought, don't think that right now but then that's all you can think about. And then you start to feel all this guilt and condemnation because that thought crossed your mind. That's what it's been like for like a week and a half at this point. It's just like, man, it's, it's, it's rough. You're battling, but let me tell you, it is warfare. It is spiritual warfare. Somehow, I don't know how he does it, but somehow the enemy, he gets, he gets his little ideas in your head and you start to, and you start to, no, I don't want to think that. I don't want to think that. But when you tell yourself, I don't want to think that, you start thinking that. And then you're like, oh, great, I've thought it. And now I feel horrible and I'm guilty and convicted and I'm feeling condemned. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, you guys. Whew. It's been rough. It's been rough. And I'm sure that you guys have been experiencing similar things, if not worse. But I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. I didn't want to show up tonight. I didn't want to. I'm, you're the pastor. How, what are you talking about? You don't want to show up. I did not want to show up tonight. There have been times in the past, those of you who've been around know, I've been totally upfront with y'all, where it's just like, I did not want to be here. I did not want to be here today because it's just like the warfare, dude. It's like, it's so intense that you're just like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to curl up in a ball under my blankets and do nothing. Today was the first time. Today was the first time that I thought to myself, like, okay, well, okay, how do I go about not going? Like, how, how, can, how can I make this happen without sinning? You know, like, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm sick. <laughs> you know, like, but like, how can, I, how can I accomplish this? But, you know, obviously, again, it's warfare. You know it. I know it. I know it's warfare. It doesn't make it any easier as you're going through it, but you just know that it's warfare, so you keep pushing. And something that I've, I've been, I've been, a slogan that has been popular in my mind lately, and I've told other people that is, if you feel like there's something, like if there's something that, that if there's something for the Lord that you don't want to do, if, if, if you see it there, like going to church, you don't want to do it, that, that tells you that you need to do it. Just do it. Just do it. I don't want to go to church today. Well, that means you need to go to church today. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to read my Bible today. Well, that means you should be reading your Bible today. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's heavy, and these things are there to just give us cues and clues. Like, no, no, you, you, you need to do this. If the enemy is telling you, nah, don't worry about it. You don't, don't, don't go. You don't need to go. Dude, you, sh- you need to go. You need to go. Um, anyway, that's it. So uh, tonight, we are going to be continuing studying through the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we took a break. We went, to, we went through Psalm 1. 
and we looked at Psalm 1. But this week, we're going to continue studying through the Gospel of Matthew. So please, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, we're currently looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and as we make our way through the gospel, I've been, I've been learning so much. I mean, I have been learning so much as, I have been, as I've been studying uh, this gospel. Um, if you attend on Sundays, which I hope you do, uh, you know that Pastor Steve is also going through the gospel of Matthew. And um, this is going to be finally, this is the Sunday, this is the week where Pastor Steve is going to, he's going to pass us. You know, he's, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's just, you know, speeding through it and he's, he's finally going to, he's finally going to walk past us. We're actually going through the same scriptures. I don't know what scriptures exactly he's going to go through this week, but at the very least, he's going to go through the same verses, if not more uh, than what we're going through tonight. So it should be interesting. I, I love it because like, what the Lord shows me as I'm studying and what, whatever gets preached on Friday nights and then what the Lord shows Pastor Steve and what he preaches on Sunday mornings, it's just, it's different, but it's great. Like, it's, 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 it's actually kind of amazing that, like, the, the Lord can take the same text and through two different teachers teach, you know, different things, but both, both different things that are good. Like, there's nothing bad. No, no one's teaching heresy. So it's awesome. And obviously, Pastor Steve has far more uh, experience in, in, in Bible teaching and Bible study than I do. So it's just, it's just great to be able to sit under, sit under that teaching. Um, but tonight, we'll be looking at the verses where Jesus, once again, he, he gets into the idea that with God, everything boils down to the heart. Everything boils down to the issue of the heart, the condition of the heart is extremely significant to God, far beyond uh, what the outward appearance looks like. The internal motivations and the thoughts are really what matter. Uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted to share some things that some things that I that I used to encounter in my previous employment. Um, I've stated before that prior to becoming a pastor, I worked for the Santa Monica Police Department in the traffic services section, writing parking tickets, towing vehicles. You know, uh, all, that, all that fun stuff. I'm sorry if I've ever cited you. You probably deserved it. Um, <laughs> but um, one of the things that I would run into a lot is there, I mean, there are a lot of things that I would run into a lot. You'd be surprised. Uh, but one of the things that I would run into a lot that didn't make sense to me was uh, when people would be parked in a red zone. Like there's a red curb and people would be parked in a red zone. And Oftentimes, when I would be issuing the citation for a red zone violation, sometimes the driver would come out. They'd be like, well, what are you doing? You're giving a ticket to my car. You know, sometimes I would let them slide. Sometimes I wouldn't. Um, but I would often hear them say the same thing. It was, it was strange to me. They would always say the same thing. They'd be like, I shouldn't be getting a ticket. Like, th there's no reason that I should be getting a ticket. I'm not even parked in the red. But clearly they were, you know, they were obviously parked in the red. I even have a picture of it. Like I, it's part of my citation, you know, and, um, but then they would, they would go on to say like, no, 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 but, but only the back end of my car is in the red. My back tire isn't even in the red. And I remember asking people like, what do you mean? Like, where did you get that from? Like, what, what would make you think that it was okay? Like, where did you get this idea that that, that isn't parking in the red zone? that it's okay to park in the red, even if it's just the back end of your vehicle. And of course, they would all say something like, well, you know, that's what I heard, or, you know, that's what all my friends say, and, you know, that's, that's what the internet told me. 
It's always something that was like heard through the grapevine that you could park in a red zone so long as your back tire isn't in the red zone. And I would inform them that, no, you know, there, there's nothing in the California vehicle code that gives any kind of exception to parking in a red. It just says that if there's a red curb, you can't stop, stand, or park a vehicle in that red zone. That's it. Nothing stating that your back end could be in the zone so long as your back tire doesn't cross into the red zone, but they thought that they could do it. Why? Because that's what they heard. Because it's what they heard. That's what everyone thinks, so that means it must be true. But if they were to look into the vehicle code themselves, if they were to go into the California vehicle code themselves and look up the words, they would know what the law states. They would know exactly what the law states. And so Jesus, in tonight's verses, as well as the remainder of chapter 5, he's going to be challenging what the religious leaders have been communicating to the people concerning God's law. You know, the religious leaders of this time, with all of their analytics and all of their interpreting, they developed their own ideas concerning God's law, and they communicated these things to the people. And the reason that the religious leaders were able to do this without getting any pushback the way, the way that they were to, to analyze God's law, interpret God's law in their own way, and give that to the people, they didn't get any kind of pushback. It's because, um, you know, God's people, they kind of developed an illiteracy to God's word. You know, they, they, they didn't know God's law themselves. They, they lost the ability to speak and read the original Hebrew, which is what the, 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 the Torah, the law of God, was written in. The common people, they lost all of that, all of that ability. The common people, they, did, they couldn't have a scroll of the Torah for themselves. These things were expensive. They didn't have, like, printing presses or, like, an app where, like, yeah, I have a Bible on my phone. Like, they didn't have that. And so they were, they were trusting. They were trusting in what these religious leaders were saying. They had to. Like, well, these, these are the religious leaders. They know what they're talking about. But the religious leaders, what happened is they began to hold their own interpretations above God's law, ab- above the heart of what God's word said, God's heart in regards to his own word and his own law. And that's what Jesus is going to be clarifying in our verses tonight. So let's pray before we get into that, though. Father, thank you so much for all these people that are here. I'm, I'm so thankful, God, that, you, that you've brought everybody. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would empty all of us, that you would empty me, you would empty every single person in here of ourselves, empty us of our ego, empty us of our pride, empty us of our arrogance, Lord. God, humble us so that we can hear your word preached, so that we can hear and understand and be changed and be convicted and be encouraged. God, I thank you so much once again. And uh, Holy Spirit, move. If you don't move, if you don't speak, Lord, this is all pointless. So I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you're a note taker, the title of tonight's message is Murder Simplified. Murder Simplified. So let's begin our study by reading our verses for the night. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to start in verse 17 uh, and read through verse 26. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, 
You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So the portion of scripture that we'll be looking at tonight starts off with Jesus saying, he says, you have heard that it was told to our ancestors, and then he continues on. And so it would seem that Jesus is beginning to give a different interpretation, uh, to, to give his own take on these things, basically to say, hey, this is what you've heard for a very long time, but let me tell you, everything that you've heard about murder is all wrong. It's like those pop-up ads when you're on YouTube, like, forget everything you thought you knew about fitness or, you know, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Forget everything you know about cryptocurrency. Like, done. I already, yeah, (laughs) I'm already with you. (laughs) Not a problem. I'm still going to click skip ad when it comes up, but hey, man, I just want you to know I'm with you. Uh, (laughs) I got to hit skip ad because my daughter is going to be like, watch, watch, watch. You know, she wants to watch her, her sight words. You know, she wants to watch the sight words video. I can't be wasting time watching an ad. Um, that's actually kind of a problem that I have. My wife is just like, dude, why do you love watching? I love watching ads. I don't know why. I just love watching ads. Like whenever we're watching something, I guess nowadays you don't watch anything on TV, but when you're streaming, we don't pay for anything. So, you know, we have to, we have to sit through the ads, you know? And so, um, you know, I, was, I just, I, she tries to talk and I'm just like, Oh, that's that's funny. Like the that's a good ad, you know. Like I just I don't know. I enjoy good ads. I enjoy good writing. Anyway, um, but this isn't what Jesus was doing. He's like, forget everything you know about murder. Um, follow me. Um, well, actually, he does say that. Follow me. Anyway, um, that's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't interested in providing a new and improved interpretation. He wasn't interested in making God's law more deadly. You know, we started our reading with verse 17, where Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So Jesus wasn't trying to overrule or add to the law. He was seeking to fulfill, to perfect, to clarify, as evidenced by these verses. And it doesn't take much knowledge of Bible interpretation to understand that Jesus was taking not murder things, and he was equating them to murder, namely being angry with someone, considering someone to be worthless, someone to be of of no value to you, or if you consider someone to be foolish or absurd. And let me tell you, I have been guilty of these things, even just today, uh, driving into work. Why do people take so long to change lanes? I just don't understand. Your turn signal has been on for like a minute. There's nobody over there just get out of my way. But anyway, but why does Jesus consider these things to be on par with murder? Why? Well, in Genesis chapter nine, after the floodwaters receded and Noah and his family, they get off of the ark. God says these words in Genesis nine, six, he says, whoever sheds man's blood, 
by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God is saying that if anyone kills another person, that killer must be put to death. Why? What's the reason that, that God gives? Why is so much value or worth and weight placed on this act of taking another human's life? Because all humans are made in the image of God. We all have inherent value and worth because God has created us. And he puts something of himself inside of us. And when someone unjustifiably takes the life of another, they are behaving murderously, not only towards another human being, but murderously towards God. We are his image bearers, all of us. And so when someone has murdered another human, they are violating the peace of God that is in them. And we have no right to do that. No one has a right to do that. Likewise, when you are angry towards someone, when you deem someone worthless, of, of no use or value to you, and when you view someone as absurd or stupid, you are violating the peace of God that is in that person. Jesus isn't adding to the law of God. He isn't editing the law of God. He is filling it up. He's fulfilling it. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the, the, the greatest command was to love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, mind, heart. Thank you. I said it out of order and it threw me off. <laughs> That's what he said the greatest command was. But the second greatest command was to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two commands is the entire law and the prophets. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And included in that second greatest command, one of the implications of that second greatest command is that you will not murder people. And Jesus is clarifying that also implicated in the second greatest command is that you will not be angry towards others. You will not deem others as worthless. You will not view someone as stupid or absurd. Now the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, says be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry and went into the temple and he noticed that, his, that God's people were getting ripped off by the money exchangers and hustlers and, and lamb hustlers. He was so upset that he started flipping tables. He made a whip, started flipping tables and getting their, their, money, their money drawers and started turning them over, letting money fall everywhere. So what is Jesus saying? Well, the word that is used for angry in these verses on the Sermon on the Mount, it's a term that connotes a brooding, boiling, simmering anger. Like it's just, it's marinating, this anger. It's marinating. Anger that lingers. Anger that is not allowed to die. It's nurtured. This type of anger is the first fruits of murder. But before you think you're off the hook, because you don't have a, a brooding, simmering anger that you're nurturing, the word also just simply means to, to be provoked to anger. And, you know, I mean, it's another definition of it. So it's both. It's like, oh, I'm angry, but it's also like, oh, I'm so angry with this person. I'm going to let that simmer. So it's just anger. But the motivation behind the anger is definitely a factor. It's perfectly okay to get angry when, when, when our young children are being sexualized. That's perfectly okay to be angry at that. 
It's perfectly okay to be angry when unborn babies are getting murdered. When they should be in the safest place inside of their mother. It's perfectly okay to get angry when people take advantage of the defenseless. But anger that stems from selfishness, anger from being inconvenienced, anger from being annoyed, anger from, being shown, from not being shown the respect that you deserve. Everything like these things, that is not okay. You are just as guilty as a murderer. And you are just as guilty as a murderer if you deem others worthless. You call them raka. That's the word that's there. When you call someone raka, it's, it's not a word that can be translated according to commentators. It's, it just means good, for, it means good for nothing, empty-headed. And like I said earlier, I often think these things when I'm driving. But you are just as guilty as a murderer if you view others as stupid or foolish. How stupid can you be to do what you just did? Sometimes you don't even have to say the words to communicate that sentiment. Sometimes your facial expression says it all. We can be so harsh with each other. We can be so mean to each other. We can be so heartless and impatient and arrogant towards each other. And I just wanted to be clear in full disclosure and full vulnerability, that includes myself. I am these things with people as well, and it's not okay. We can be so wicked towards each other. Thinking that would be better off if this person would just stop showing up. Can you just please stop? You, you, you make more work for me by being here. Can you just please not come around anymore? Thinking that things would be just so much easier and so much simpler if this person was smarter, just, if they would just use their brain for one second. When we do these things, when we do these things, when we behave this way towards the image bearers of God, we are guilty of a crime that is equal to murdering and killing that image of God. We are violating that image bearer with our anger and our words against them. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, he says, so if you, are, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court where your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you'll never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You know, these verses are so simple. You know, the, part of the difficulty of, of this week was, I'm, I was I was just like racking my brain so hard to like, okay, how, 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 how can I really expand on these verses here? I mean, like I, like I told you guys, the, the, our time in Matthew has been amazing for me. Like I've, I've seen things in scripture. I've seen connections in scripture that I never saw before. And it's so amazing to me, stuff that I'm just like, dang, this is deep, you know? Like, it's just like, gets you geeked, you know? And, and this week, I'm just like, okay, how, how, can I, how can I make this more intense? Like, where can I find other scriptures to make this deeper? And we're like, whoa! And it was frustrating. It was frustrating. Because, dude, stop it. K-I-S-S? Y'all know K-I-S-S? Did I say it right? Keep it simple, silly. Keep it simple, silly. 
What are we talking about, Tony? <laughs> Don't call me stupid. <laughs> but these verses are so simple. They're simple. They don't need any fancy or deep words attached to them. They don't need a deep explanation. If you have violated an image bearer of God in the ways that we have been discussing, you need to make amends. You need to make it right. You need to go and ask for forgiveness. We should strive to preserve the image of God in all people, but especially, especially for those who are within the body of Christ, especially with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. 1 John 2.9, I mean, the letter of 1 John is full of these references. 1 John 2.9, it says, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. 1 John 2.11, but the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. He is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you've allowed anger to simmer and boil towards your brother or your sister, if you've treated your brother or sister as if, as if they were worthless, if you've treated your brother or your sister as if they were stupid or you're looking down on their foolishness, because they're not like you, they're not as smart as you, they're not as great as you. If you violated the image of God that is in your brother or sister, don't even think about coming to God in a spirit of worship, in a spirit of praise, or a spirit of sacrifice, or whatever. You're over here raising your hands and in worship to God, and all God sees is your brother or your sister's, their blood on your hands because you've murdered them. You've murdered your brother or sister. And you need to clear that up. So if someone has something against you, Jesus is saying, if someone has something against you, you go make it right. You go make it right before bringing your offering or your sacrifice to God. Go make it right. And I would also say, I would also add, that if, if you're in a situation where someone has something against you for no reason, go try to clear that up too. Go clear that up too. They, they may have a reason. You're, you're just, you just might not be aware of it. You just might not be aware of the reason that they have something against you. So go clear that. Go to them. Go to them. Like, hey, you seem to have a problem with me. You seem to have a problem with me. But I don't understand why. Can, can you please tell me what I did? Can you tell me what I did? I don't want to have this beef in God's house and between God's people. Tell me what I did, please. Or, or tell me what you think I did so that I can either apologize for unknowingly upsetting you and offending you, or I can clear up the misunderstanding. Like, no, 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 that, that's not what I said. I, I, I didn't do or say or think the thing that you think I did or said or thought. Let me, let me clear that up. I've had to do that in the past. I've had to do that. And they may not want to resolve the issue. 
They may not want to resolve it. For whatever reason, they don't want to get into what you did. Or they think you should already know what you did. But the reason that you're asking them what you did is that you have no idea what you did. But if you did know what you did, you would apologize for what you did, but you don't know what you did, which is why you're going to them and asking them what you did, but they don't want to tell you what you did because you should already know what you did. It's a cycle, vicious, vicious cycle. I've been there too. I've been there too. At that point, at that point, you did what you could do to resolve the issue. You did what you did. You did what you could do to resolve the issue. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? You can't make them forgive. You can't make them see the misunderstanding. You can't make them do anything. John MacArthur says this, we should do everything in our power to be reconciled. Obviously, we cannot change another person's heart or their attitude, but our desire and effort should be to close the breach as much as possible from our side and to hold no anger ourselves, even if the other person does. Regardless of who is responsible for the break-in relationship, and often there is guilt on both sides, we should determine to make a reconciliation before we come before God to worship. Man, I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. I know that there are people in here. I know it. I know there are people in here who are harboring some sort of anger or resentment towards a brother or sister. And it's not that I, like, I know without a shadow of a doubt because people have told me. No, no, no. I just know because there's humans in here. There's people in here. I know that. And some of you, you may be fooling yourselves. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going to let bygones be bygones. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to forgive you for what you did. But I'll, I'll pray for you. I'm going to pray for you because the Lord knows you need it. You got problems. I'm going to pray for you walking around asking people, hey, can you, can you join me in praying for such and such? He just, he's got a problem. Let me tell you what he did, just to give you some context for how you can pray, how you can go about praying for this person. When Jesus said that whoever calls their brother a fool is worthy of hellfire, the word fool, it could also be translated to impious or godless. Someone who does not show reverence or respect for God. Someone who shows a reckless lack of care or attention for the things of God. So when you're walking around, help me pray for this person. Let me tell you what they did. What do you think you're doing when you're walking around airing out someone else's sinful laundry? You're trying to highlight their godlessness to others. And what does that say about you when you are violating God's image bearer and masquerading it as care for their spiritual well-being? I just, I just want to make sure that they're right with God. That's not what you're doing. We need to examine ourselves honestly. We need to examine ourselves honestly and we need to repent. And if necessary, we need to make it right with our brothers and sisters. If they have something against us, we need to make it right. It may not be easy, but it's necessary. It's such a high standard, such a high standard that the Lord has. It's not merely the act of taking another person's life and destroying the image of God in that way by like actually killing them and murdering them. Destroying the image of God through our heart's attitude 
and through our words and our actions towards them is on the same level. God is calling us to a higher standard. And that begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. And that's the point that I want to conclude on tonight. My wife and I, we were talking the other night. And, you know, she was telling me that lately the Lord has just been really throwing, like he's been like throwing it in her face, not in a bad way, in a good way. He's just been throwing it in her face about how our salvation is a free gift. Like he's just been like saying it from all angles. Like she's going through, she's studying through the book of Romans. She listens to Bible studies. She even listens to me. I think she's my biggest fan, which is cool. But you know, it's like she, she's listening to all these things, getting the word. And she's just like, God is just, yelling at her, telling her this salvation is a free gift. I mean, that's something that we all know. Like, we all know this. But lately, that fact has just been resonating deep, deep within her bones, like within her cells, within the, the powerhouse of her cell, like, like her mitochondria, for those of you who don't know. But, you know, it's just, been, it's just been deep inside of her, like just this knowledge that, dude, this is a free gift of salvation. And, and not merely that it is a free gift, but she's been getting hit with the fact that it had to be a free gift. It had to be a free gift. You know, we tend to think the problem that we all face is that we can't keep God's law, that we can't keep the law. We, we, just, we just can't do all of the things required in God's law. And that's obviously true. We can't. But the issue that we all face is just, it's so much deeper than that. And that's the issue of the heart. It's the issue of the heart. The heart must be perfect. It must be perfect. But the heart is something that we cannot control. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? This is our problem. This is our problem. Our hearts are deceitful from birth and they are incurable. Seems pretty hopeless. In a world where our hearts must be perfect in order to meet God's standard, having a deceitful and incurable heart is really bad news. That's horrible news. We can do our very best to control our behavior. And, and if we focus and we try hard enough, we could probably do a really good job being good enough, being good people. But the condition of our heart is way beyond our control. It is way beyond our control. We don't have the cure for these deceitful and incurable hearts. And when it comes to living up the standard that is being set forth in the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, We have no hope because the standard that Jesus is setting forth, as I've said, is the standard of a perfect heart, a perfect heart. That's why it's marvelous. That's why it's marvelous that it's, it's, it's not just that salvation and forgiveness and righteousness is a free gift. It's that these things, they had to be a gift. They had to be a gift and God was more than willing to make the sacrifice in order to make that gift free. That's marvelous. He sent his one and only son. He sent him, but the one and only son also came voluntarily. 
He came voluntarily because of the joy that was set before him, you and me and the glory of his father. He died on the cross, having lived a perfect, sinless life. And the death that he died, it was not for his own sins. It was substitutionary. He died for us. He died for your sins so that the punishment that should be aimed at you for your sins, they would be aimed at him instead. And he took that death. He took your punishment and he rose again from the dead. His sacrifice was enough to satisfy the punishment that your sins deserved. So God raised him from the dead to prove it. God raised him up from the dead to prove that that sacrifice was enough and to show us that we can have new life too. We can have a new birth. We can be born again. We can have new hearts, hearts that are perfect, not because we ourselves are perfect, but because he has given us his own perfect heart. It's his heart that he's giving us. And so though we may stumble, though we may fall, though we may have simmering and boiling and we nurture anger, and though we may violate God's image bearers, we can still have forgiveness and salvation because the heart that God has given us is perfect. And because the heart that we have is perfect, despite living in this fleshly outer shell, this outer shell, this flesh, this indwelling sin that wants to do the wrong thing, I don't want to think those thoughts, but I, something inside of me makes me think these thoughts, even though this perfect heart is wrapped around that flesh. We are moved to have our behavior match the perfection that is living inside of us in that heart. We are becoming who we are, and we are wanting to be more like Jesus. That's what we want, which is why we will go to our brothers and our sisters that have something against us, and we will strive to make peace before coming to God in worship. So as we are going to come back together and sing these songs to Jesus, if there is a brother or sister that has something against you, if you know that there is a brother or sister that has something against you because of something that you've done, something that you've said, or maybe there's just a misunderstanding, you need to go to them. You need to go to them. You need to make peace with them. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to make it right. And if there's anyone in here, we have a lot of new people today, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know the forgiveness and the salvation of Christ, I'd like to provide you with an opportunity to make a profession of faith. Throughout the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, especially if you read the book of Acts, to those who wanted God's forgiveness and salvation and to those who wanted heaven, the command was given to them to repent and to believe, to repent and to believe. What is repent? Well, prior to coming to Christ, you are living a sinful life. Regardless of how good of a person you are, I say good in quotations because before God, not a single one of us is good. But you are living a sinful life. And when you come to Christ and when you come to the understanding that I need his forgiveness, if I have any chance of making it to heaven and being saved, I need him. Well, you stop living that way. You repent. You stop. You just, you stop living. I was a drunkard. I was a fornicator. 
I came to Jesus. Okay, I guess I'm done with that now. You stop that. You turn away from that. You change your mind about it. God says that's sin. All right, I don't, it's hard to believe that because it feels so nice, but I'm going to believe you. I'm going to change my mind about that thing. That's what it means to repent. So they were told to repent and they were told to believe. Believe in what? Believe that Jesus Christ was punished on the cross for their sins. And that's what is required of you. Believe that Jesus Christ on that cross took the punishment for your sins. And it's only through that sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you have any chance of being righteous enough for God. You believe that. Because when you believe that, God takes away your sin and he puts inside of you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness. So you repent and you believe. You repent and you believe. And the implications of that in the Bible, new believers, if, 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 you're, if you're new to Christ, you're coming to Christ, new believers are described as babies. Why are they described as babies? Because you're, you're, you're born again. You just had a new birth. So what's the thing that you should be doing as a new believer? If, if tonight you are deciding to make a profession of faith and repent and believe in the gospel, if you are a new believer, you're a baby, right now your job is to eat. You need to eat. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, let me know. I'll get you a Bible. You need to come to church. You need to listen to the word being taught, the word of God being taught with the word of God in your hand so you can verify that the person who's teaching you the word of God is actually teaching you what the word of God says. As a baby, you just need to eat. Just eat. But eventually, as you get older, the Bible also describes us believers as sheep. As sheep, we are sheep. Where do sheep hang out? They hang out with other sheep. And, and who are sheep under? Well, they're under a shepherd. Do you guys know what pastor means? It means shepherd. So those of us believers who are now sheep, we need to come together into this sheepfold and, and, and sit under the care of the shepherd. But I am not the main shepherd. Pastor Steve is not the main shepherd. Pastor John is not the main shepherd. Pastor Shannon is not the main shepherd. Pastor Brenton isn't the main shepherd. Pastor Kevin isn't the main shepherd. The main shepherd is Jesus Christ. We are his hired shepherds. We are here to, sh to shepherd the flock of God on his behalf. And we need to do it his way. So the Bible describes new believers or all believers as babies first. And as you get older, you're also a sheep. So you need to be a part of a flock. And the Bible also describes believers as body parts. Body parts. We are the body of Christ. Every single one of us, every single person who has been born again, who has believed in Jesus unto salvation, you are a part of the body. You're a body part. Some of you are fingers. Some of you are toes. Some of you are biceps. Some of you are... I've said this before. Some of you are an appendix. We don't know why you're here, but you're here, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was mean. Um, no, but we are all body parts. We are the body of Christ. What does that mean? That means you have a job to do. So you come to faith in Christ. You repent of your sins. You're a baby. Get fed. Nourish yourself. Be a part of the flock because you're a sheep and get to work. There's something that you're supposed to be doing within the body of Christ because when you do that thing that you were recreated to do within the body of Christ, we are all growing. Every single one of us, we all benefit from it. 
And when you are here, when other people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, you are also benefiting as well. So these are the implications of faith, of making a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Raising your hand does not save you. Praying a prayer does not save you. Getting baptized doesn't save you. What saves you is a true faith in Jesus Christ. Believe, repent, get nourished, be a part of a flock, and do what you're supposed to do. Do what you've been recreated to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this night. I thank you, God, that your word is, is just so amazing. I thank you that the Holy Spirit, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so faithful to us. I thank you so much. And God, I just, I just pray for anyone in here who needs to make a profession of faith in Jesus. They need to repent. They need to believe. And they need to follow Jesus. If there's anybody in here, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, or the heads are up, I don't care. Nobody should care. If, but there's, if there's someone in here who wants to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, you want to come to Christ for forgiveness and salvation, I want to pray for you. So please raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Like I said, raising your hand doesn't save you. Repeating a prayer doesn't save you. What saves you is faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins and follow him. So I see you guys. I see you too. Anybody else? Anybody else want to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ? And if that's you, raise it high so I can see it. Because I want to pray for you. All right, let's pray. Father, I just want to lift up these two to you, Lord. You've spoken to them tonight. And God, I just pray, wherever they are in their walk, I don't know where exactly they are in their walk, but just based on the things that were stated tonight, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would fill them richly with your Holy Spirit. I pray that their faith would cause your Holy Spirit to dwell within them, that it would cause them to be born again, and that you would give them the ability, the discipline, the love for you, to repent of their sins, to get nourished by the word, to be part of a flock, and to eventually do the thing that you have called them to do within the body of Christ. God, I thank you for everyone in here. I pray that all of us, Lord, every single one of us, God, that our, our devotion to you and our obedience to you would be renewed tonight, Lord. That we would just, that you would just kind of Give us a little tap on the butt, Lord, just a little, a little spank. Just give us a little spank to remind us, oh, yes, we're not here for us. We're not here for our passions and our desires. We're here for you. And so, God, I just pray that you would do that tonight, and I pray that you would bless the rest of this time in worship. I pray that you would be pleased by the songs that we sing to you, Lord. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.